Now, where did I put it? Hmm. Ah, here it is. Welcome to the Toolbox. Tools for life and everything in between. Stuff you can use or toss, it's up to you. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in for the third episode of Tools for the Toolbox. I have with me a very good friend and a colleague. We served together and we're overseas together, but I'll let you introduce yourself. So uh, who are you and what is your military background? Yeah, uh, my name is uh, Mark Campbell. Um, I'm a retired uh, major from the Canadian Armed Forces. I was an infantry officer for... uh, well, not always an officer, but uh, mostly an infantry officer for 34 years in of uniform service. I did six years of the beginning part-time as a non-commissioned member, and, and then I commissioned when I went to the full-time Army for uh, the other 20, 28 years or so. Yeah, my background is uh, infantry with the PPCLI, and uh, my service took me uh, all around the world and uh with uh with sustained service in uh, cyprus uh bosnia 97 afghanistan 02 and afghanistan again in 08 what does for those that don't know what is being an infantry officer what does that actually mean like what does it you do um yeah if you ever watch a war movie and the guys carrying the rifles with the the, the knives on the end of them the bayonets at the pointy end um, that's basically what I did, saving Private Ryan kind of uh, kind of business. Um, so I would have been the Tom Hanks character, the guy in charge of uh, of a group of uh, dog faces soldiers um, who uh, go out, and uh, we were the boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, the guys that kicked in the doors in the middle of the night and uh, roasted out the bad guys. Yeah. So that's that's essentially uh, what the what the infantry does, supported by essentially everybody else in uniform, is uh, exists to support the infantry in some form or fashion, because it's the infantry that goes and actually uh, puts the boots on the ground and makes the the difference on the scene. You know, I heard something once that I thought was great. You can kill or destroy anything with everybody else, but you can't search every ground, every piece of ground until you bring the infantry in. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's how it boils down to. It's uh, it's, it's typically uh, holding ground is uh, is the big thing, which doesn't sound important on the on the surface of it, but when you when you boil it down, everything that a military does at the end of the day is is focused on controlling space, battle space, whether that's a piece of terrain. Uh, a patch of ocean or, or or airspace it doesn't really matter at the end of the day it's all about holding that that piece of that piece of physical space yeah i know in all the creeds for like everyone has their own little creed and the engineers was uh we enable friendly forces to live move and fight on the battlefield right and and for the infantry the the motto is to close with and destroy the enemy so it, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty straight to the point yeah, uh, I you know I always love working with the infantry guys because they're they're no BS. There's no, oh well you know this is this the other thing we have to do or that we also do this. It's just straight up. We're the bad guys. Let us shoot them. Yep, that's pretty much <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Uh, so now that you you're retired, correct? Yeah, absolutely, medically okay. retired. And uh, what uh, what led to that? Um, well, what led to that was me getting blown up in, uh, 2008, actually. I was, uh, I was, uh, my job at that time was mentoring the Afghan National Army. So basically providing them with, uh, 
uh, on-the-job training in combat operations while executing combat operations. So yeah. a lot of moving parts. It was very fascinating, interesting work, um, being immersed in the Afghan culture as I was for essentially did everything but pray with them. Um, so it was, it was quite, uh, it was quite fascinating, um, in, in all aspects, but, uh, um, working and fighting with the Afghan soldiers was, was really a highlight of my career. And I was having the time of my life. I was literally at the pinnacle of my career when, uh, uh things went sideways one day and I ended up, uh, being targeted by a Taliban bomb, which, uh, initiated a, a, what we call a complex ambush. So they blew me up and then they use a confusion that that creates to, uh, hit us from three sides with uh, machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades. So it was a bad day at the office. And as a result of that, being on top of that bomb when they blew it, I uh, lost both of my legs uh, above the knee. So um, I was pretty much a critical critical care casualty at that point. And, uh, and uh, yeah, the gist of it was uh, after a long, um, rather torturous ordeal, I came out the other end. Uh, and you can't be an infantry officer and jump out of airplanes and run around the mountains with a rucksack on your back with no legs. So for me, it was essentially game over. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was it for my career. I was medically transitioned out. Wow. I, uh, one of my really good friends was, uh, he, him and I came up together both through the engineers. And he was actually the one of the TCCC guys that worked on you during that gunfight. Right. And uh, yeah. that he was telling me about it afterwards. It was, uh, sounded like quite the engagement. Uh, you guys, your guys still did some awesome work and were able to fight that back and enable to get you cast yeah. back. And like, it, it, I, I would say that I wasn't there. Uh, but, but from my friend told me it was, it was a credit to your training that, uh, everyone stood the ground, did the job, fought back, uh, fought off that, uh, ambush and then were able to evacuate you pretty, yeah. pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. The guys, the guys were 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 well trained, and I wouldn't say I I had any particular role in that. I mean, I was involved, but uh, the guys took it upon themselves to be well trained. I think is is the important takeaway from yeah. that. The guys, everybody took their job very seriously, and and everybody <laughs> paid attention during the training because they knew it could be them that was getting uh, worked yeah. on. So, um, absolutely, uh, the guys were brilliant, uh, especially uh, that day under fire, and and everybody from from uh, Warrant Officer Paul Hallwell, who uh, who took control of the situation that day, uh, several several grades above his uh, pay level, but uh, you know he sees control of the situation, being the next senior guy in the ground, and uh, and uh, it was his uh, his company that was in the in the contact uh, that my sergeant major and I were flying top cover on. So um, he, he did. They, everybody did a brilliant job that day, and uh, from uh, from the, the the medics that worked on me, uh, kept me alive several times uh, where I was tanking out, but uh, they kept me going with rescue flow and whatnot. Um, so a credit to their training. You know, if they hadn't, my senior medic hadn't had his TAC Med course, and you know they do all the live animal training during that course. And quite frankly, that's what saved my life was some unnamed pig that ended up in somebody somebody's entree um, gave his life so that I could have mine, so to speak. And uh, I certainly appreciate that sacrifice. And I appreciate the training that was given to my guys that they were able to save my life. Um, I think the TCCC course yeah. that I took, and I know a lot of guys took, was just top notch. I mean, we could not yeah. have gotten better training. And the TAC Med course, yeah, every, every, unbelievable. Yeah, every single one of my guys was uh, TCCC trained just because of the nature of our job. We were 
decentralized and uh, well beyond sort of the normal Canadian cocoon, uh, you know, of support that surrounds yeah. you. So I had I had very limited medical support. So uh, we were our own medics in many ways uh, in, within the teams. So everybody got TCCC training. And then I had uh, a smattering of, of, of real medics on top of that, but not a lot. I didn't have enough medics to give to everybody all the time. Um, so, you know, some of my teams went out without a medic um, and I had to sacrifice my one or two available medics to go to the real um, isolated spots like Mushan, the combat outpost. Yeah. Uh, that uh, could only be reached by a 13-hour friggin' ground move or uh, or uh, by contracted airlift uh, because uh, the, the coalition wouldn't fly yeah. there. <laughs> that uh, that was pretty isolated yeah. outpost, Mushan. I mean, similar to um, oh yeah, Lacacal. Once they had that built up, there was like just yeah, took yeah. forever to get to. Once you're in, you're yeah. in. Well, yeah, once you're in, you're in. I I did uh, think three resupply runs and uh and changes uh, personnel swap overs in mushan uh, before i was hit and taken out so that was three months once a month we did a run down to mushan and uh, spent uh, spent a night there and rested and refitted them and sorted them out gave them a bit of a break from the battle for for the time that we were there yeah and uh yeah but uh what a place to spend uh spend a month yeah. of your life you now being being shell being mortared every other day and uh yeah they had they had quite a few adventures my guys down in Mushan. No, no. I, I literally i literally looked at that as a as a as an outpost too far i mean that we really overextended ourselves there we had no ability to influence good or bad uh those guys if they were seriously you know overwhelmed uh it would have been it would have been escaping of a yeah they basically were um they were just holding their own like they, they weren't really doing oh, much out of that yeah. i mean spin pier was similar to that too they were just getting hit all the time and yeah. they like you couldn't patrol out of there because it was constantly under attack yeah and and even if you could patrol you could only patrol to the extent that your support weapons in yeah. the bastion could walk could provide you overwatch and direct fire support so you couldn't go very far no um yeah and then that whole combat outpost uh strategy was was failed from the onset i mean uh, that's what got people like Aaron Doyle. I hate to say it, but killed unnecessarily, you know. Yeah. And and we lost we lost excellent, outstanding warriors uh, as a result of bad strategy decisions from higher. And I'm not blaming the senior Canadian command necessarily. I mean, they were they were they were beholden to NATO command at that time, and NATO command said, you know, you will secure the roads. Well, that's easy to do in Mazari Sharif, <laughs> yeah. where, where it's peaceful and quiet. Yeah. You can't you can't secure a road where there's an active insurgency going on because in order to secure the road, you have to physically be on top of it. That boots on the ground we yep. talked about earlier. You can't do that. <laughs> it just you don't have the horsepower. No. Yeah, because you have to leave at some point, and the moment you leave, yeah, they're right back on top of it. There goes. Exactly. You know, I say this quite a bit that yeah. the uh, the lessons of Vietnam were not taken into account for doing Afghanistan. No, and no. It, we had the same issues regularly. We would go in, we'd, oh. you know, we'd fuck up their day and then we'd leave and they would walk right the hell back in. Not, yeah, not even that, you know, we didn't even absorb the Soviet lessons out of Afghanistan. I mean, there are, there are books written about it. The bear went over the mountain and the other side of the mountain. Yeah. The other side of the mountain is an excellent treatise from the Soviet, pers- or from the Mujahideen perspective on on how what they did to the to the soviets and i mean they even talk about the same ground you know that that we uh 
that we were we were fixated on around Bazarish or uh, or Bazari Panjway and and places like that. So I mean, they 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 made the, the the Russians' lives miserable on the exact same ground that they tried to make our lives miserable using the exact same tactics. And we never really absorbed those. I mean, I read those books before I deployed and everything, but. I don't think as a as a as an institution, the Canadian Army did a very good job of uh, uh, disseminating sort of the the whys and wherefores of 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 of, of the enemy campaign. I think the um, I think one of the things that was an issue in that particularly was just the fact that we were trying to play catch up, like we've done in pretty much every combat thing we've ever done. Is uh, we get involved, we're not prepared in terms of manpower, in terms of equipment, in terms of money being spent, and then we have to play catch-up regularly up until yeah. we have a solid fighting force, and then we get used appropriately. But getting there first... I, I, and I, I, I agree with you 100%, and it's a tough road to hoe when you're trying to make up for lost time without adequate people, without adequate money, without adequate equipment. And that's where we were uh, right up until probably around 2009, 2010. When we finally got those four Chinooks operating, yep. uh, that we uh, borrow or I guess we bought them off the Americans. Yeah, once we had those that airlift capacity in theater, I think that that was a that was the big sort of tipping point uh, in terms of Canadian capability. That and the fact that our our resp- our area of responsibility shrunk down with the American surge, and uh, and we were suddenly responsible for an area that was more consistent with the force we had to deploy i was in i was in the incel for 09 when the uh, turnover was coming through yeah i i was watched they replaced what we had we had a company element uh holding an area and they replaced us with a division and yeah (laughs) just like yeah that that makes sense So, I mean, kudos to the company that yeah. held that ground, but they unfortunately, they, they only held the ground that they happened to be sitting exactly, on at yeah. any given point in time. I mean, I, rem- I remember in 08, you know, we did precisely what you said. We never held ground of tactical importance. We played whack-a-mole. Yeah. You know, we'd commute to war in the morning, and uh, or maybe we'd stay out for a couple of weeks even. I know I, there were a couple of times I stayed out outside the wire for two, three weeks, but Every day was a different series of engagements with the enemy chasing them over Hell's Half Acre, yeah. like you know, Wiley Coyote and the and the and the road Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, you know, and uh, and then that was it. You know, you sort of bed down. Not much happens at night. Lay a few ambushes or whatever, and and uh, hope for the best. But uh, really, most of the, the action happened during the daylight. And uh, I used to call those uh, pick a fight patrols. Yeah, yeah, pretty or, much. We would just roll out there in the middle of the night. And then we'd appear there when they woke up and we, they would try and shoot at us. We'd shoot back and be like, well, you can like, they couldn't never take us on one-on-one. No, but, uh, it, it, yeah, I just love those, those little random patrols where you're out for three, four days and looking for a fight. A lot of the time with the Afghans, uh, we were used essentially as bait, uh, for, uh, to, to, to initiate or to try to attract enough enemy to get into a scrap, so that the coalition could do a bunch of killing from the air with uh, mostly with hellfire missiles off of uh, predator UAVs. And that was how most of the killing got done in my experience was was not us on the ground so much. I mean, you know, we would do our very best to close with and destroy the enemy, but it was easier said than done in the in the okay. the jungle terrain along the Argandob there. A lot of people think we were fighting in the desert and nothing could be further from the truth. We were fighting in a jungle. It was so back and forth. It really like you'd you'd walk in through the desert 
into a jungle yeah fight there and then walk back out in the desert yeah yeah where, <laughs> so weird. you could see for miles watch your dog run yeah. away for three days but, yeah exactly yeah and yeah i know it was, a, it was a very bizarre strange little war that we had going on there but uh be that as it may it, it was our war and the only war we had so we we did prosecute it to the best of our abilities sometimes i was disappointed in our abilities and other times i was i was suitably impressed yeah, the one thing I, I I've really taken from Afghanistan as a whole was that Canada, the the army is kind of like the little engine that could. Yeah, we're always getting tossed something that is just it's too big, or it's you know nobody else has been able to take it, or you look back through history of what Canadian uh, units have been put through and what Canadian units have been able to do, and it's usually us doing with less, obviously, and we're always behind the time where we don't have enough equipment or we don't have enough men or i mean you look at the battle of hong kong you look at oh, yeah. um Bimmy ridge passchendaele uh you get even farther up into korea at cap yong yeah. and you look at uh you know just constantly undermanned under strength and yet somehow pull it, we pull it through it yeah. or made it through yeah yeah managed to hang and, on uh, i always skin of our teeth <laughs> yeah i liken that to uh you know when we're training we're usually training without like we just don't have the stuff anyway mm -hmm. so we're just so used to someone saying get this done and we're like oh sure all right <laughs> i don't know how i'm gonna pull this off but let's go try yeah uh, it's that kind of mentality that gets us through yeah we did definitely put meaning to the words you know the improvise adapt overcome yeah and uh, other, other people toss that those terms around but they, i think they actually mean something in the canadian forces yeah well it's the uh, it's the way of life right we we really don't have much, so we just have to figure out a way to do it anyway. Make do with what you got and get her done. Yeah, exactly. So now that you're retired, yep. uh, what do you do now? Are you just I'm, hanging out? I'm, I'm, I'm effectively retired for the most part. Um, I was involved. Um, well, I mean, to be honest, it took me probably the better part of four or five years just to get myself sorted out um, as I transitioned out of the military uh, into civilian health care and sort of passed over the hump of, of, of physical health care and sort of transitioned to this is my normal life now uh, in a wheelchair and whatnot. Um, so that, that, that whole process, the, the, really the mental process, much more than the physical process, took me a better part of four or five years to sort out. And uh, that involved also a whole bunch of stuff that I'm, I'm more than happy to talk about, rehab and all that stuff that I had to go through. And I don't just mean physical rehab. I mean, I went through um, alcoholism rehab and the whole nine yards. Um, and that was all part of pain control, which I suppose we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, so my early transition was pretty ugly, actually. Um, but uh, once I got squared away at about year five, so around 2013, um, things started to coalesce for me. And I came out of a clinical depression uh, with the help of... Uh, some some better living through chemicals in that particular instance and it worked and uh, snapped me out of it and from that point on life actually took a turn for the better and and has been uh positive um uh, it's all been it's all been good um since then um and that would be about for the last six seven years um i've really got no loud complaints i mean uh, life goes on i'm confined to a wheelchair that does tend to limit some of the things i can do and i've had to narrow down my bucket list a bit but uh, i tend to be able to do most of the things i did before so my retirement keeps me busy in that regard um 
for the first uh, little bit, even while I was still struggling to come to terms with everything, I got involved in a class action lawsuit. And that one thing led to another, and I was pretty heavily involved in uh, veteran advocacy for about seven years there, um, involved with a class action lawsuit, which became known as the Equitas class action, um, looking for a, a, a fair shake for, for veterans, specifically veterans uh, who were under the, the then new veterans charter as of 2006. So most of your Afghan veterans, uh, that, that sort of cohort, got uh, got stiffed by the federal government to the tune of between 40 and 90 percent of their 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 disability compensation in the middle of the war without being told about it. And uh, yeah, found yeah, out in our hospital bit. beds <laughs> that uh, we'd been financially stiffed in the process. That uh, wasn't that uh, wasn't exactly a morale booster at the at the lowest point in our in our lives, but. In any case, it was what it was. Uh, that gave me the, that fired me up, and uh, I did battle with the federal government for seven years until the uh, until the Supreme Court of Canada chose not to hear our appeal, as they are wont to do uh, when it's liable to embarrass the federal government that they're beholden to. So uh, we never got our day in court, and there was no justice for Canadian veterans. I'm afraid disabled veterans, and. Uh, I was shot down in 19. Was it last year or the 18? Uh, I was 18. So that 18, yeah. uh, put the kibosh on the lawsuit and that put a bit of an end to my veteran advocacy, although it does continue in the form of the, uh, the minister's advisory group on policy, which I'm still a member of and have been for about uh, six or seven years as well. Uh, I, I often think they put me on that committee just to shut me up through the non-disclosure agreement, but um, as it turns out, I can still talk about everything we do on the policy advisory committee. I just can't talk about the specifics of our discussions. Right. Yeah. So, but the gist of things is is fully, of course, uh, everything we should do is and should be transparent to the Canadian people who pay the airfare to fly me there. You would think. So now, I mean, we talked about your transition there for a bit and some yep. of the issues that you were you were dealing with. You have a, a piece of advice or something. For transition? A little nugget for transition for anybody that would be going through transition or... Well, you know, transition's a very personal experience, like everything else, like the military, you know, it's your own experience. You make of it what you will. I think transition is is much the same. And I I guess if I had one piece of advice for transition, because I've seen it over and over and over again, and I lived through it myself, and that would be to empower yourself through knowledge. And what I mean by that is, is, is go out there and you have to actively and aggressively pursue knowledge in the areas that are of interest to you. If you're not broken physically or or psychologically, uh, if you're, you know, if you're fit and healthy, then your transition is liable to be a lot easier than it would be and less complex than it would be if, for instance, you're like me, where you've lost your legs and you're in a wheelchair and you have all sorts of specific medical and psychosocial needs on top of just the regular, I'm getting out of the army, uh, how do I open a a bank account kind of thing. Um, So transition is very unique and very individual, I think. But the one piece of advice that I think is applicable to everyone is, depending on your situation, determine what is important to you in terms of knowledge, you know, what I don't, you know, I don't know what I don't know. And uh, that's, that's the hard part is figuring out what you don't know and filling in those gaps with, 
with knowledge from the right sources, the accurate sources. So it's a question of education. And I think the biggest resource out there is fellow veterans that are, you know, sort of one step ahead of you in the process. Absolutely. Or even like like me that have gone down the process years ago can still sort of offer those distilled kind of nuggets, the things that stick out in our minds as the important bits. Uh, and for me, that's empowering yourself because veterans affairs, I, I, I won't accuse them of anything nefarious or, or, or discreditable conduct, but they don't advertise their services very particularly well. And yeah, well, I'm trying to be polite about it. So um, as an individual, you really have to go and drag the information out of them. They, they have the information. They just don't tend to share it readily. So you have to kind of drag information out of veterans affairs. And that's what I mean by empowering yourself is sometimes you got to go kicking and screaming and, 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 and drag this shit out of them. Uh, sorry about that, but you got to drag this out of them. And uh, it's, 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 it's frustrating to have to do that when you're the one that, you know, everybody should be coming to you with, with ways to assist you. But in, in fact, you turn around and you end up having to go to them and, uh, but it is what it is, and and you've got to educate yourself. And fellow veterans, I think, are the are the are the are the the way to crack that nut. I got really lucky in my transition when I was in Meaford. My retirement, there was actually a VA rep on base in Meaford. So when I right. got there, and I was like, you know, I'm retiring. I was actually I had two months left in my uh, in my contract, and they're all like, oh crap, and they were behind the ball because you're supposed to do it take over six months to do all this right but she basically she just handed me the paperwork and she was just like i need you to sign all of this yeah and i basically applied for everything that the va has to offer and she said you know what the worst they can do is turn you down for something so we may as well just get all of this in and done yeah and if they approve you for stuff cool then you have it <laughs> i was like that's yeah. a great idea and yeah. uh, you know at, i say like i got lucky because a lot of guys don't get that. No, and that uh, and that's one that's I tell you the 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 service agents at um, at the Legion are a hugely unknown and underutilized gold mine. They're a resource, um, a tremendous support resource. Uh, my my wife um, is a veteran as well, and and she's had her own particular issues with transition, uh, medical transition. And uh, she had a complex case because she had split service and everything else. And it was the uh, the Legion service rep that uh, that sorted her out in a big, big way and uh, sorted her case out so that it was coherent for Veterans Affairs to deal with. They they do brilliant work. So um, if ever anybody is 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 presented with a sort of an overwhelming pile of paperwork from Veterans Affairs, uh, your first stop should be a phone call to uh, to your local legion to find out who the uh, who the veteran service agent is, because these people get paid to be there every day, all day, to help people like us. Yeah, I, uh, I I've sent I think three or four people have contacted me saying, oh, you know, the VA is screwing me, or uh, I'm not getting what I should be getting, or I'm not getting acceptance for something, and I. I, that's exactly what I sent him to him. Like I got a buddy who I served with actually, who is now the uh, the rep for Edmonton. So I just oh, like yeah. Yeah. contact this guy, <laughs> and he will sort you out. Uh, is that, yeah, that, that Daryl? That guy's yeah, Daryl. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's who my wife's yeah. a brilliant guy. He's awesome. Oh, he's awesome. He he was um he was a warrant in the engineers. Yeah, when I that's the guy. Left. Yeah, that's yeah, the guy. And uh, great, great dude. 
and he the one thing that i love about him is that he wants to help yeah and he like he really whatever it is you're going through he is there to help you and i've sent like i said three or four dudes i can't remember which but uh as soon as they call him, they give me a show back. They're like, man, sort it out. We're good to go. <laughs> like, fucking yeah. Earth. Yeah. And big sigh of relief. Right. You know, cause yeah. somebody's, somebody's on the case. That's, that's the big thing. You know, my wife was yeah. the same way. At least somebody's on the case. Somebody's on. And the they board. have pull. That's the other yeah. part. Like it's, it's not just some random vet or some random case manager who is trying to get something sorted out. Well, yeah, they have pull. They have pull. And they have the knowledge. Home. Yeah. And, uh, and it's nice for the, you know, the veteran themselves just to have somebody in their, in their court that, that seems yeah. to know what they're doing. Well, we're so used to fighting as a team, right? Yeah. Everything in the military is team based. And then you get out and you're, you're by yourself all yeah. of a sudden true. <laughs> left to fend for yourself. True, true. Absolutely. So yeah, that, 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 uh, veteran service agent is a, is a big under, under known and unknown and underutilized resource. So that's, that's pretty key. Yeah, that'd yeah. be my one big piece of advice is, uh, is is inform yourself, gain knowledge as best you can. And one of those best resources for doing that is that Legion service agent. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My um, my big one that I always told people was just have a plan mm-hmm. and ask as many questions as you can. Yeah. Just across the board, wherever you're going, doesn't matter who you're talking to, ask questions, ask questions, continue to ask more questions. And until people are sick of you and just want you to go away, Mm-hmm. keep going well and, and one one question will usually lead to another and and to another exactly. and to another source so yeah, yeah eventually you'll get to where you want to get yeah and my fellow veterans i looked at them as um uh kind of like uh road signs mm-hmm. like exit here exit here <laughs> your next exit is 400 meters right yeah and it was one of those things uh you know having an issue at school one day i missed a bunch of classes and then my uh my uh, psychological capital just like took a nosedive. I didn't have enough to really deal with anything. I was getting really upset because I missed a test and there was a whole bunch of stuff happening. And uh, I talked to a buddy of mine who had already been through it and he was just like, man, please get degrees. And it, it had never occurred to me before. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh man, you're right. I can miss a test. And then I was able to kind of get back at it. But it's like you said, those people who have been through it, the guys who have done it and have come out the other side yeah, are tremendous resource, tremendous resources. Exactly. Yeah. So do you have any big, uh, anything planned for the future? You're still just going to chill being retired or you yeah, I'm pretty much... about a, a shooting longer yeah. shooting thing, right? Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'd say, yeah, by no means anything to do with a business venture or anything like that. I'm, I, I'm, I'm retired and I intend to stay that way. Uh, nice. Aside from a, a bit of part-time work on the side with Callian, uh, Callian Group for the Military yep. Simulation Center, I'm involved with that a little bit, but not overly. Um, yeah, I don't have grand plans for the future. I've I've kind of been sucked into a military simulation game online with some yep. friends, so that's that's chewing up a few hours while we're while we're all basically housebound anyhow with the COVID thing. Um, but yeah, it's, certainly, uh, it can as, take away your day, can it? Well, as they start to loosen the strings here, um, certainly I want to get back out. My big hobby is uh, is 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 the shooting sports, the recreational shooting sports, specifically target shooting, and more specifically, as of late, it's been the long range, long range precision rifle shooting, um, which you mentioned there. So that's a uh, that's a big. Uh, that's a big draw for me. I like to spend my days at least one day a week out on the, uh, on the rifle range, trying to, trying to, trying to hit little steel plates, six inch steel plates at 500 yards and, and further. 
Um, there's, not, there's nothing greater than that that sound. Well, that's a that nice yeah. delay, and then the ping, and you're like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's I, it's no different than anything else. You know, it's it's trying to achieve the impossible. I mean, the perfect shot is impossible. Yeah. Trying, you can't put five bullets through the same hole, no matter how good you are. But you can certainly try to get close. And it's yeah. that it's that it's that endless pursuit of the impossible that's the draw that keeps you coming back, right? Yeah, you're looking for the uh, the the mythical Robin Hood shot, right? Yeah, Putting one yeah. arrow in the other. Yeah, exactly. So it's, and and do it on call. That's, yeah, yeah, anybody well, can have an accident; it might just happen. But yeah, do it under pressure, or you know, under self-imposed yeah. pressure, whether that's time or or what have you, or an awkward position or something. You can always uh, you can always add the element of stress in there to make things more interesting. And I mean, yeah. that's how that's how these competitions evolve, right? Then you're into the precision rifles, uh, uh, PRS they call it, the precision rifle. Yeah program and uh, that that's huge in the states right now and it's growing in yeah. canada by leaps and bounds and as they take away all of our all of our go fast guns for lack of a better yeah. term um we, i don't want to get into that but uh yeah other than to say it's cost me a bundle of money um and it's ill 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 considered and won't, yeah. won't do what the government is lying to say it will do which is improve public safety. It will have no yeah. impact whatsoever. We all know that. None. Yep. It's all purely political theater that the vast, the vast majority of Canadians seem ready to gobble up, give up their freedoms yep. and, and privileges for this false security blanket that doesn't exist. I just don't get it. Conversation but. with my, uh, with my stepdad at one point, we were talking about concealed carry and whether or not oh, yeah. that was a good thing in Canada. Uh, I was, of the I was of the mind, and I still am that um, you know the the ability to take responsibility for the safety of those around you is not for everybody, right? Like there yeah. are people that are they they want to do that. I I'm one of those people. I think that uh, I have a skill set, and I have an ability, and I have uh, the training mm -hmm. in order to be able to do that. He was yeah. vehemently against it, and it basically it came down to it was he believes that the what we have in place keeps him safe and i was informing him that uh oh. from my point of view that this is an illusion that safety is an illusion because it's only yeah. there based on the whatever people are feeling at that moment because yeah no i the mean cops I aren't going to help you if some dude just i think we, through your door and yeah there, right? i think we can all agree that at 3 a.m when somebody's beating down your door the police are 10 minutes away uh, that's not going to happen in 10 minutes. Yeah. That's 10 minutes way <laughs> yeah. too long. So exactly. yeah, no, I'd much rather have the means at my disposal to be responsible for my own personal security. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, I think that's uh, what it comes down to is the responsibility though. Most people don't want. Yeah. They don't want it. They abrogate their responsibility and they give it to the state and they don't realize, or they just turn a blind eye to the fact that the state can't actually provide what they're, what they're looking for. Yeah. And, I always uh, say the police are, the police are great and they're a deterrent. Oh, they're but very, they're they very are, good at cleaning up after the fact. Yeah, it's a reactionary force, right? It's always yeah, about they're, they're there after the fact. Yeah, they're not. Something they're has not. to happen first, and then bang. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> worst anyway, case I'm sure scenario. you and I could talk about yeah. this uh, yeah, all day long. We, we could go on, <laughs> but um, back to the point uh, at at at, yeah. at hand. Yeah, no, for me, uh, I don't have huge, great um, plans for the future. I'm not running for political office or anything uh, nearly so foolish as that. So yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, it's 
to be happy in your circumstance is a, is a really yeah I'm content big part for a lot of people and that's that's a great spot to be in so let's let's talk about pain yeah I now you obviously with um, losing both your legs you're gonna have a lot of other issues yeah. I'm sure hearing issues and tinnitus and uh, mm-hmm. phantom pain things like that yeah do you do you still get like I mean, you have chronic pain, right, all the time. Yes, but I do. You have short-term periods as well. I do. I get both. Um, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm very unlucky in that regard. I got the full I got the full suite of uh, of secondary issues associated with uh, traumatic amputation, uh, yeah. and the and the biggest one of that that a lot of people don't realize is is the gift that just keeps on giving, and that is uh, that is the chronic phantom limb pain. Yeah. Uh, it also goes by neuropathic pain. It's nerve pain. It's damaged nerve endings that don't know what to do with themselves. So they make up signals and the signals they make up aren't, are unfortunately not warm and fuzzy signals. They're your, your foot's on fire, but you don't have a foot to put out. And, um, but it feels just like it's real. It feels like your foot is there and it feels like it's really on fire. And, uh, and you know, when it's at its worst, it's, it's, it's jaw dropping. I mean, it's every bit as painful as it was the day I got my legs blown off, which was pretty high up there on the scale of one to 10, let me tell you. <laughs> so, um, so untreated, this pain is quite frankly, it's, it's, it's intolerable. Yeah. Um, uh, so what, what do you, what do you do for it? Well, um, I'm on a, I'm qu- quite a regime of drugs, um, uh, starting first and foremost with the one that was the, the, the real changer for me, which was methadone. And methadone, everybody, I certainly, it took me a while to, to warm to the idea because I'm automatically associated with, with heroin addict, addiction. It's given to heroin addicts as the substitute drug because it doesn't tickle the, the happy place in the brain. It doesn't uh, do anything for the pleasure receptors. It just um, satisfies the body's physical craving for opiate. It's a synthetic opiate substitute. It's a derivative. Um, so uh, that methadone has turned out to be the perfect drug for for me for what I have for neuropathic pain uh, because it attacks the pain center or anesthetizes the pains the receptors in the brain. But in so doing, it doesn't make you high at all. There's no, there's no component there. Like it's like it's like marijuana. It's like CBD uh, of marijuana. If 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 people are using that terminology, yeah, I'm, I'm on that right now, actually. And it, uh, yeah, it's so just it, enough to dull everything. Yeah, there's without... no psychotropic effect. It just yeah. it acts as an analgesic. So yeah, it, the met, the methadone's the big one for me, but I'm also on uh, Lyrica, which is the one with the television commercials that runs 60 seconds of "Don't take this if." Right. Yeah. Yeah. That so it's a liver killer, uh, awesome. and 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 a kidney killer. Yeah. Um, but I have to have it because it's also the most effective one out there for fibromyalgia, which is nerve pain. Yeah. Um. So I take Lyrica, which is also known as pregabalin or pentagabin. Um, I, I take, uh, Cymbalta, which is predominantly a, uh, antidepressant, but I don't take it for the antidepressant purposes. I take it for the, um, again, it's got a, it's got a, uh, a nerve pain dulling component to it, um, which is the property that I take it for, uh, on the psychological side, I take what's called Abilify and it was a fairly new drug when I started it about uh, six years, seven years ago. 
I guess it's more mainstream now. It's up there in the with Wellbutrin and you know those kinds of of uh, of uh, antidepressants. So um, I take that. That's the one that knocked me out of a uh, chronic uh, clinical depression. It, it was a wonder drug. It knocked two weeks. It was like flipping a switch. Boom, gave me my life back. Um, I was on Abilify for a little while, and uh, I just didn't like it. I was no. No, um, I found different, it. different different strokes for different yeah, folks. Yeah, it, it, different I side think, effects, right? Yeah, I, I had a lot of um, like I felt it made me not twitchy, but that kind of feeling where everything was uh, yeah. just kind of off, and yeah. I just yeah, I didn't like it at all. Fair enough, works yeah. for me. Yeah, no, that's, that's and, great. And, that works for you. That's I, awesome. And I, I can't I can't endorse it for everyone because I don't know, but different side effects for different folks. But uh, I take that, and uh, uh, and then I'm on, you know, just the regular. Oh, your cholesterol is high, or your blood pressure is high, or whatever. Right. So I'm on, I'm on a few odds and ends in that regard. But those are the those are the big ones. Um, and I take my pills twice a day, from down from three doses a day. I've I've managed actually to reduce my my intake of the the pharmaceuticals by about a third. But that was the best I could manage, and uh, I'm kind of stuck where I am now in terms of the, the trade-off. And the trade-off is pain, right? The trade-off, every time you reduce your pain meds, your trade-off is more pain. How yeah. much pain can you take in your everyday life and still function normally and not become grumpy to the people around you? Yes. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, and what's, what's the value on the other end? What's the trade-off in terms of being healthier? So that's kind of where I am in that. And my regime has, has been steady. It's been plateaued, including the methadone. I haven't increased my dosage of methadone in about five years, which is pretty good. My, my pain doc yeah. is pr- pretty impressed with that actually, because he was expecting me to have to, to uh, knock it up incrementally as I, uh, as I gain more and more and more of a tolerance, but uh, that hasn't happened thus far. The problem I get is okay. those drugs take care of the long-term pain for the most yeah. part. They suppress it. But then the what happens stuff. is, yeah, the chronic every day, it's there no matter what, uh, day in, day out. It, the, the drugs tend to suppress that. But what they're not success, successful in doing necessarily is controlling uh, momentary spasms, I would call them, where I just get this incredible stabbing pain. Like literally, I'm being stabbed, like with a dull blade, in the thigh, or in the, or worse, somebody's taking a dull hatchet to my shin bone. That one really hurts. I don't have a shin bone, by the way, but yeah. it, it it feels like I do. And somebody's taking a whack with a dull axe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> I tell you, this stuff will. It, if I had toes, it would curl my toes. The pain is such, yeah. and it's all it's all in the brain. Pain is all in the brain, man. It's funny that way, right? But it is. That's where the pain manifests itself is in the brain, even though it feels like it's in the extremity. It's not. It's it's hap- it's it's happening with these nerves, and uh, yeah, the, I don't have a short term cure. I don't have a PRN, as as a nurse would call it, a uh, 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 an immediate pain relief. Um, I've tried marijuana because I use medical marijuana uh, as one of the tools in the toolbox. But um, I don't find medical marijuana has that immediate, sufficient immediate effect 
to dull one of these momentary transient pain sessions that I get. So I don't know what the answer is. Well, I love the CBD for, like you said, chronic pain. Um, yeah. But you're right. I, I've never, I haven't found anything to deal with the short term. Because I mean, it's immediate. Like, yeah. It takes like 40 minutes to an hour before the CBD actually kicks in. Right. Because so you're then, using it as an, are you using oils or? Uh, yeah. I, I take the, um, uh, the little, little pills. They're oh, just okay, got pill, the capsules or whatever. Oh, like the gel caps. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah. they were great, but you know, 40 some odd minutes. The thing is I didn't want to, I don't like smoking. I quit smoking years ago. I don't like the idea mm-hmm. of it, even vaping. I have one for like, if the pain is that bad, then I will use it. Yeah. Um, and then I still, you're, you're still looking at 10, 10 minutes that's, for like that's full effect. That's the problem. Yeah. And, and therein lies the problem. Like I've got these new vape cartridges yeah. um, that they're marketing. Although I'm, I'm not very happy with med relief right now because they, they made me go without for a month while they didn't have any stock. Yeah, and, I switched out from med relief. Oh, and, wow. then, and then they got some stock and they limited us to half rations. Yeah. So now everybody's on half their medicine. Well, what the hell good is that? Yep. You're better off at least some people be all or on, you know, have medicine and, and other people not. But to yeah. put everybody on half rations is just ridiculous. The, so, the, the red tape behind it is just so silly. The fact that it went from a, uh, from, a from an actual, like a legal drug can't remember the actual term for it is, but because it was illegal and now it's legal, it has to be so heavily regulated that it's, oh, it's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, so now in those moments when, you know, the pain is there, it's, yep. uh, you, you've taken your drugs, but you, you know, you got to wait for it to actually kick yep. in. One of the things that I try to do is try to find balance in the day. Mm-hmm. And I start, you know, I try and find something else to do other than, fixate on the pain like when my oh yeah i got a herniated disc right and when my back is given her there's not a whole lot i can do but i will try to find something so i will you know i'll work on my book or i'll um i'll start texting reaching out to other buddies and saying hey man you how are you doing today yeah and just something else to focus on do you have something that you do for yeah those iterations i I tend to I tend to follow the same sort of philosophy you do, and that is distraction. Yeah. And uh, if if I can if I can get my brain forced to think about something else, anything else, uh, other than focusing on the pain, then I find that helps take the pain away. Because, like I say, pain is in the brain. Yeah. So if you can if you can occupy the brain with something else, I mean, pain centers aren't necessarily the same as your cognitive centers, but if you can make the brain busy doing other things, I think it helps. And so I, I just tried distraction is, is the best thing I, I get up. Yeah. Not that I can get up, but I'll, instead of sitting where I am, I'll roll somewhere different. Uh, you know, I'll go see what my wife is up to or do go see what the dog is doing or just anything, something, anything than what I'm doing. I got to get moving. And I find that moving helps, um, uh, moving what's left of my legs um, helps, um, quite a bit massage, uh, self massage I find is, is helpful, uh, around, I have these things, they call them neuromas where, um, it's basically what happens is the severed ends of these nerves bundle together like spaghetti and they're kind of like lost children and they, they coalesce together and they form these bunt spaghetti like bundles 
called neuromas. And so they're very pressure sensitive. Uh, you push on this neuroma and I'll, I'll launch out of my chair and go through the roof. But um, so massaging around that area where the, 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 the traumatized ends of the nerves are, I find is uh, it works pretty well. And, and it has to be self-massage because there's no way I could ever have a masseuse go anywhere near those neuromas um, because they just don't have the feedback. Yeah. They don't have the feedback that I do and the control that I do. Yeah. So um, it's very, very much a personal thing. But uh, that's that, that I find is, is one, probably the only real way I have aside from distraction and distraction doesn't always work because sometimes the pain is just so intense that it literally leaves me gasping. Um, and, uh, you know, the best thing I can do is just is massage it, that area um, of the left, particularly for me, it's the left leg. That's the one that got vaporized on top of the bomb. So it's the one that's mostly, it's about 60% uh, grafted tissue on that leg or what's left of that leg. So that's the one that uh, massage is most effective on. You keep but, uh, in those times when like, yeah, it's, just... it's tough. It's tough sometimes, man. I mean, I'm not going to bullshit you. It's, uh, it's not easy sometimes to stay motivated, to stay positive. I mean, it'd yeah. be easy. It'd be easy to, to, to fucking woe is, woe is me at, um, you know, in my wheelchair with my, with my lack of legs and all the rest of it. Um, but, that's no way to live your life. And I don't know that I'd want to live life in that regard. Um, with that kind of outlook, um, I, you know, I consider myself fortunate in many ways. The biggest takeaway for me, um, was, uh, from the military anyhow, was the ability to sort of face adversity, uh, adapt and overcome and still find the positive things to look forward to. And right, wrong, or otherwise, I think those are that those are values and ways of looking at things that the military instilled in me that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise have. So that kind of whole adapt, overcome, that whole oh, I can handle this. What's the next challenge? Um, Bring it. <laughs> you know, yeah, that 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 whole mentality, that attitude is what has allowed me to deal with a lot of the adversity associated with being disabled. You know, I had, I had a, a buddy of mine uh, and I were on our PLQ course and uh, we were in Wainwright and it was just crummy out. You know, those days where it's, it's cold, but it's oh, not, like, I know those days. it's not freezing. <laughs> well, you know, I mean like everything just sucks, but it's not bad enough where you're like, all right, bring it on. It's, it wasn't yeah. really raining, but it was cloudy. It was cold, but it wasn't cold enough to wear your warm stuff. It was, you know, tedious, but it wasn't uh, enough where you could stay down long enough to like chill. And it was just one of those days, right? And uh, we were we were sitting there one day waiting for something to happen, and uh, or waiting for someone to write orders. And we saw a chipmunk randomly just kind of move towards us and stare at us for a little bit, and then took off. Damn. And we uh, he <laughs> we we looked at each other and thought that was kind of hilarious. And then uh, yeah. later on in the day a one beam of sunshine hit us like one of those laser beams from oh, yeah. the sky. Right. And we're just like, wow, yeah, it's all of yeah. a sudden warm. And uh, I looked at him. And I'm like, you know what, man, small victories in Wainwright. Yeah. It's not that bad. And it, it's those, yeah. those moments, those little tiny moments where you're like, okay, 
you know, it's not it's not that bad. And uh, yeah, I, I do that when I'm when I'm really in pain and my back. Like there's times where I can't even, I can't walk. So I mean, it's right. not nearly as bad as what you're going through. But uh, you know, when I can't even stand and I can't put any weight on any, I can't even sit up. I have to just lay on the couch. Uh, it's bad enough, eh? and, yeah. and it's I have to look around for those things, and I have that's how what keeps me going to the, to the next day. Where you know, okay, mm-hmm. now I got to force myself to walk up the stairs and get in bed. But in between those points where I'm laying on the bed or I'm laying on the couch, I try and find little moments where I can say good. And you know, yeah. I'm a big proponent of Jocko Willink. I think he, he does great stuff. Yep. His yep. statement yep. on good People. was so perfect for those moments when you're in pain and everything sucks and your meds aren't working and all you want to do is scream and cry and whatever i look for something and be like you know what i'm in my house or i'm on a couch i could be on the street i could be something like i I have something good right now i have ice on my back it's not doing shit but it you know it feels okay (laughs) at least i got it exactly and uh i find those those are some key things that yeah. you have to grip whenever you're in that kind of pain. Well, his, whole, his whole concept of ownership of everything, right? Own, own your pain, own this, own that. It, you know, it makes good sense. He's a bit yeah. of an extreme guy. Like everything he does is in 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 extremes. Well, he, he's or, a seal. So. Degrees of extreme, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I, you know, I get it. And uh, his, 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 a lot of his advice is, is well taken. It's good stuff. I think as long as you um, take it with you know, in your own lens, instead of trying to be yeah. like him, right? You just be you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's got, you got to adapt it to you. It's no good otherwise, because it won't stick. Yeah. Uh, not, nothing sticks if it's not genuine. Exactly. But uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. The short-term pain thing is just one of those kind of, you got to suck it. I just got to suck it up. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things I know about it is that it's up until now, anyhow, at least it's transient. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't last forever. And, you know, it's like everything else. This too shall pass. But I, so I got a question for you. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I dealt with, uh, this is a psychological question in regards to pain, though. I always feel like when I'm not in pain, I'm good. And then I always start to question my own self when I was in pain. So like I'm laying on the couch. The pain is obviously too much for me to stand up. I, I have no question in my head at that point. But later on, when I'm up and I'm walking and I'm rolling jujitsu or I'm, you know, physically active, lift weights and stuff, I'm like, was I just a bitch? <laughs> like, was it right? Was it just that that day I didn't want to deal with it or not, or is it the pain that much? Right? Did you ever struggle with something like that? Yeah, a little bit. Um, but I think mine mine was always grounded in the fact that you're missing my legs no matter what the pain right. is doing. Yeah the end of the day i'm still missing my friggin' legs so um i i never really had to question whether or not the pain was real or the pain was was adequate to keep me from doing things because quite frankly my legs give me all the excuse i need to not do things for sure um but that's to me for me was a mugs game because um it'd be too easy to say well i lost my legs i can't do that uh, yep. I'll ne- I'll never do that again. Like whether it's sit skiing or it's or it's uh, sh- uh, going hunting again or, or or going to the rifle range for the first time after I'd lost my legs, 
you know, I mean, everything's challenging. Everything is more challenging. Everything is slower. Um, everything takes more time. Everything has to be a deliberate operation plan seven steps ahead, which is another thing I thank the Army for blessing me with is the ability to to plan and think in, in a coherent fashion that makes sense. Um, so I can plan everything I do three to five steps ahead um, because that's generally what it requires. But, um, you know, getting in a boat, going fishing again with my buddies, stuff like that. Um, every time, every first time is a new adventure, but, uh, I haven't run into a situation where I haven't been able to do something yet. But then again, I got to temper my, I got to temper what is feasible too. I'm not about to go climb Everest tomorrow and set that as my, you know, my next bucket list goal, because quite frankly, although I could probably hire enough Sherpas to carry my fat ass up the mountain, really what, what's the point of doing that? Yeah. You know, at the end of the day. Uh, is it to say I climbed Everest? Because I wouldn't. I wouldn't be climbing Everest. No. There'd be a bunch of Sherpas hauling my fat ass up the mountain. Yeah. You know, you gotta. You, so you, you. I mean, I. I temper what I can do or what I want to do with the with the physical realities of it. I mean, there's places I wanted to visit, but I know that I'm not going to go there now because they're not wheelchair friendly. They're not. They're not that accessible. So it'd be a waste of my time and my limited resources to 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 plan to go to places like that just because I wanted to see them because it's going to be just too difficult to be enjoyable. Even New York City was borderline difficult until I realized that the taxis were just another form of public transit and, and started to use the taxi system. Uh, and then I realized that they've got a brilliant disability taxi system in New York City with its own dedicated uh, phone uh, phone line and everything. And all of a sudden, life was good as a disabled guy in New York City. But I had to crack the code, right? right. Um, until I figured that out, I was trying to use a subway, and it was a friggin' disaster. And buses were worse in Manhattan. But uh, I can't even imagine trying to get on a bus in Manhattan. I, yeah, but the taxis are perfect. The ta taxi system is brilliant, and the disabled taxi system is very responsive. Never waited more than 10 minutes for a taxi cab in Manhattan. It's awesome. So, But you got to crack that code. Right. But... But there are places where I just won't even bother to start, you know, to think about going. And that's a function of the disability writ large. It, 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 it does limit you in some fashion. But that doesn't mean you can't necessarily not do the things you used to do. It's just that you got to tackle them in a different way. And sometimes you need the help of friends to do it. As you said, adapt and overcome, right? That's uh, exactly. That's what we say and, to ourselves and, all the time. And, yeah, and you got to you know you got to swallow a bunch of humble pie. I mean, yeah, that that's a huge one. I ask, you got to be prepared to ask for help, and that was that was probably the biggest hurdle I had to overcome was uh, was the the concept of going from being sort of self sufficient uh, and making my way in the world without anybody's help to uh, to having to needing generally needing help to to just do basic things um, that I used to take for granted. I now require assistance to do and, and learning to, uh, to accept that and ask for the help was, uh, it was a bit of a road to hoe. It took some time. Uh, leaps to get over. And I mean, again, yeah. I'm not, not asking for help the, the same way you are, but when I'm stuck on the couch, I, I, yeah. I had to eat a lot of humble pie many times to, uh, yeah, and try and roll say, off the couch. Thank you. Exactly, right? Just, <laughs> I remember rolling off the couch and I made it, I think, a, a foot and a half, like on my hands and knees, trying to get to the 
the kitchen and my right. wife was just like what do you want just ask me for yeah. it i will get it and i'm like i just wanted a drink of water or something it was silly but in yeah. my head i was just like i can do it i can make it i don't need anybody man you can't you can't do it on your own meanwhile you're just being an ass yeah exactly yeah yeah exactly and then it is it is what it is um but it, it you know when you're in, of the independent mindset and all that it takes some getting used to and uh yeah i'll just i'll leave that at that but that was probably my biggest hurdle was uh was getting over my own well getting over myself really well humility is such a yeah, it's e- such a ego. wicked tool yeah. to get over that ego, right? And the ego can be dominating, yeah. uh, especially in terms of pain, too, because a lot of it, especially for military guys, we're so used to just sucking it up, you know, suck it up, move on. Yeah. There's work to be done, right? Just just let it go, carry on. And unfortunately, you see, you know, you talk to military guys and say, hey, you know, you got any issues? And they're like, yeah, my knees are shot, my back is toast, my shoulders are gone. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those are pretty standard, right? Hearing issues, all these things. And one of the things, at least for me, for pain, keeping ahead of it has been a big uh, tool for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and just one of the big ones was keeping fit, right? Trying to... Right. I let myself go once I retired, right? And I was like, screw going to the gym, and I don't need to run, and my back hurts anyway, so I don't want to run, so screw this noise. And I realized once I, st- I started having to buy pants that were bigger than what I was in, yeah. <laughs> I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not happening. Well, this is a huge problem. This has been a significant, massive problem for me is, 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 um, is, um, un, un non-desired weight gain. And, uh, it's tough in a wheelchair, man. Uh, it's hard yeah. to keep the pounds off, especially, um, I can imagine, I mean, it's the same boat if you're a, if you're a paraplegic or even worse, if you're a quadriplegic, I guess. Um, although I don't think I've ever seen a overweight quadriplegic, but I don't know whether, why that, why would that, why that would be the case? Uh, I'm not sure, but certainly for me, it's, it's, I've had trouble keeping the, the pounds off. It's, it's tough without my legs there, without those major muscles to burn the calories. Yeah. It's fuck. I mean, I can, I can, I can go to the gym and use an, uh, what is it, an ergonometer there, the, the wheel, the like bike pedals on a wall, right? Yeah. Knock uh, it on a wall, but I mean, I'm good for ten minutes in that bad boy, and then my arms are tuckered out, and then what? Yeah. You know, now, now, how do I burn calories? And the, the fact of the matter is, missing those major muscle groups in the legs is, is where the, the engine is that, that burn the calories. Yeah. So it's. Uh, Going to the gym is not a source of uh, ability to control calories like uh, like I would hope it is. So yeah, it's just it's tough. I only eat once a day, and I'm still I don't know. Snacking doesn't help. Yeah. Snacking on junk doesn't help. Well, but. That's, <laughs> I think that's pretty standard for everybody. <laughs> is, yeah. there any, is there anything you do though to keep ahead of your pain? Is there no? No. Like, to be honest with you, it's, or it, just... it's well, I'm. I'm on a I'm on a fixed schedule with the pills, um, and uh, rarely do I miss a miss a dosage. Um, if I do, I certainly know about it within uh, within a matter of uh, an hour. Yeah. Uh, my legs will be telling me that uh, something's something's not right, uh, and it just gets it just gets continually worse as the previous dosage wears wears off. So staying ahead of the pain, geez, that's a tough one. Um, sleep is probably the biggest factor influencing my pain that I have control over. 
And I, so I'm not saying I have, I have great control over my sleep because I don't, my sleep's pretty screwed up and, uh, it's quite broken and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up every hour on the hour with a with prostate and all that stuff going to the washroom and whatnot. So, right. yeah. So my, my sleep's not the greatest and I think, but lack of sleep is probably my worst enemy when it comes to pain. If I find if I'm fatigued and I'm tired, then the pain ratchets up a lot, a lot quicker and a lot more easily. Yeah. So, and I think that that's probably, associated with your your notion of fitness because the fitter you are the easier things are we all know that from our military training um even psychologically things it's easier to deal with things when you're physically not as tired right i mean the stronger you are physically the the easier things are psychologically that's absolutely true Yeah, i just spoke to uh my last episode was with uh, a guy from kansopcom and he was saying the same thing as you know the both the psychological fitness, the physical fitness, all this stuff basically just resets your suck line where things suck. Yeah. Right? You've been through something this sucky. Okay, well, now we're going to put you through something more sucky so that you're used to that suckiness. So that when you get back to the first suckiness, you're... Uh, yeah, it's not, it's normal operating exactly. procedure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. But you're right. Sleep is such a, such a big factor. Sleep's, well, sleep's huge, right? I mean... What do we do in training? The first, the, as soon as we want to put pressure on sleep, people, yep. we start to probably yeah. sleep, right? Um, because it, that's that's the quickest way to put somebody in a position where they're at their at their personal limit, and uh, you can see people how they react when their faculties are are less than 100. Yeah. percent And it's always sleep deprivation is the first thing we we apply because it it, it works so well and it and it's so quick, so, right? You get less than your standard, yeah, you, and bang, it hits you. Within a couple of days, you're, 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 you know, I mean, Brian Wayne, sorry, Gagetown going through basic officer training, you know, they had all those exercises. Every one of them was Monday to Friday. And on the surface of it, you think, oh, Monday to Friday, anybody can do Monday to Friday. Well, not when you don't get any sleep Monday to Friday, you know, suddenly Monday to Friday, which is full of advanced contact all day long and then go into a fighting patrol all night long and then back into advanced contact all day long, suddenly five days becomes 10 days, right? Because there's a full day of work that happens at nighttime too. So suddenly you're doing two full days worth of work in a 20, in a 24 hour cycle, yep. two 12 hour days in a 24 hour cycle, isn't leaving you any time for sleepy buys. Nope. And, uh, you know, you got maybe an hour, an hour and a half cumulative sleep over the course of four days. You're a vegetable <laughs> by the fifth day. I remember doing a course we were out for, uh, like you said, I think it was a Monday to Friday, and I believe we had ten hours sleep total for that yeah. whole week, and it, yeah. we were just zombies. Like we, uh, I don't even yeah. know how we made it through because oh, yeah. we were just. Uh, it, I don't remember much of it other than just random. I, I do remember at one point I got four hours of uninterrupted sleep, and it felt like yeah. the best sleep I had ever had in my life. I was so well rested. Yeah. I woke up. I was. <laughs> Glory, glory day. Yeah, isn't it amazing? I know. Sleep is just—it's one of those things where you take it for granted until you don't get enough of it, and then it's like, oh god. And it would feel so good right now. I could just sleep. I mean, I've fallen asleep standing up. (laughs) I caught myself. You know, you know, you're really tired when you don't catch yourself before you hit the ground. Oh man, I've I've seen some people pass out on parade before. I don't think it was due to lack of sleep, but that. no, that that's that's fainting yeah. from uh, blood blood, loss, blood yeah. flow. That uh, yeah, it, 
either way, like, uh, yeah, you're right. If you all of a sudden find yourself falling and you don't wake up, you're, you're tired. Yeah. <laughs> tired. Yeah, you're really tired. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. one of the things that the the points that I had told early on when I was dealing with a lot of this pain was, uh, and it works, this is both for psychological and physical stuff, is that you? it's just as easy to drown in seven feet of water as it is 20. Okay. And meaning that... I, I get. I think I know where you're going with that, and, and everything everything's relative, right? I mean, yeah. pain is pain, and it doesn't matter. Dead is dead. It doesn't matter if you drown in two inches or two feet yeah. or twenty feet. You're, you're drowned is drowned. Yeah, and pain is pain. Exactly. That. And uh, yeah, my my ten may not be your ten, and uh, we have no way of knowing. You know, we can't compare pain um, because we have no I have no way of knowing if it's bad enough that it's controlling your life, then it's bad enough that it's you know it's got to be dealt with. Yep, uh, that was that was basically my point was just don't compare it. Right, you have pain, deal with it. Yeah, whatever way yeah. you can deal with it, deal with it. If that means sitting on the couch for the day, okay, sit on the couch for the day. Yeah, and I think I think trying to compare the pain and say, well, you know, my pain is more than your pain could ever be, and no, you know, you don't get it because. You're not, you know, this or you're not that or you don't have this or you don't have that. I, I think that's a bit of a foolish game too because, um, as I've I've quickly learned, when when you're fit and and got all your bits and pieces and all that, and you don't have any medical issues ongoing, <clears throat> you take your health for granted totally. Yeah. Or at least I did. Yeah, I think everybody does. Um, you know, I I was just care, you know, footloose and fancy free. I didn't, you know, I didn't give my health really much consideration at all until something went wrong and and then boom something went really wrong and uh health became my fixation because it was my life was revolving around well four months in hospital to begin with yeah and 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 everything that that entails and so just getting out of jail at a hospital was was an amazing feeling even though i was legless and whatnot and and that was fairly new and awkward but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 a foolish thing to compare one person's pain and one person's disability to another person's disability because everything's relative. But you don't realize until it happens to you that everybody else, most other people, have got something going on. The really lucky ones are the ones that I described a few minutes ago that are that are healthy and fit and and so much so that they don't even think about it. Well, all the power to them. But then you got most people, and most people, I think, are in fact got something going on. Most people have some ailment that's either hereditary or genetic or what have you, or it's a, it's a newly acquired thing or it's a repetitive stress injury or something. It, it doesn't matter, but it seems like being the, the visibly disabled guy, everybody confides in me. You know, everybody wants to confide, well, I've got this going on or I've got that going on, you know, so that they've got something in relate, you know, something in common to relate to me about. So, you know, everybody always confides. The first thing people confide in me is, oh, I've got a thyroid problem or, you know, I've got this or I've got that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, whatever. But, cool. yeah. but, but I've very quickly come to realize that most people out there, certainly people over a certain age, people in their 40s and beyond, more often than not, have got a, a health issue going on in their life. So, it, you know, it's again, it's I think it's foolish to try to compare my disability to your disability or my pain level to your pain level. Uh, pain is pain, and uh, we should we should give everybody who has pain the the benefit of the doubt. 
Um, if they're mentioning it, it's because it affects them. And chronic pain is such a such a killer. Oh, fuck. Because I, it just I, grinds you, know. you down, right? It, 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 oh, yeah. It's fucking cumulative. It just wears you down from waking up in bed in the morning and the same shit, different day to, you know, it, it just it grinds you down. I, nothing used to... Nothing used to be worse for me than to wake up and have that have that usual, you know, sort of eyes open. <sighs> okay, new day. I'm still here. Oh fuck, I still have no legs. Damn it. You know? <laughs> it used to be a bummer every morning. I'd wake up. Yeah. Ah, new day, new. Oh fuck. Ah oh, shit. No yeah. legs. But it is what it is. I don't do that anymore. I don't wake up that way. I just wake up and it is what it is and carry on well you know it, as you said earlier that this is the new normal yeah everything right? you like get you, used to everything used to that normal right yeah and, and, uh, and you do you get used to everything the body's a the mind is an amazing thing it can it can it can really readily absorb and adapt and it's just yeah it's 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 amazing they they say it's plastic it's plasticized it's it's plastoid and capable of uh um repairing itself and i i believe that very much i, I think the brain is a, is a constantly evolving organ uh, i think it uh, it charts workarounds and alternate paths for for getting things done how else do you explain guys like uh trevor green you know being able to walk yeah. again when they said his that neural pathway was destroyed he would never walk again and there boom he's up walking again you know not great but he's doing it he's proven them all wrong He's on his feet, right? That's, yeah. It doesn't matter whether it's up to the standards of yeah, you know, the average person walking. But he went from not being able to walk to walking. That yeah, hugely. <laughs> so pretty, pretty impressive. You know, so you yeah. know, the brain is the brain's a pretty amazing organ. It can uh, it can bring itself back from a certain amount of damage, and uh, they're still learning stuff about it about super, oh, you know, pain superhighways that get carved in the brain during mm-hmm. moments of extreme. Uh, extreme agony and there's all kinds of theories out there it's all it's all quite fascinating i had my physiotherapist actually uh tell me about something and and it was a reaction to someone who has back pain so there is a basically when you have back pain and you have uh serious low back pain your your back starts to arch when you are in pain right and uh that reaction is to arch your back to a point and then stop it so that you don't overextend it due to the pain. And what that does is later on when you're trying to do physio and you're trying to, uh, you know, try and get rid of that pain and try and work it out and trying to actually allow you to do stuff is you run into that reaction so that your your back will actually stop you from extending past a certain point because after that point there's going to be pain. Regardless if there is pain or not, Right. the reaction is there. And yeah. That is that is your brain saying nope, not happening. <laughs> like, and that's it. It's like touching a hot stove. It doesn't matter if it's cold thereafter. You're still gonna treat it like it could be a exactly. potentially hot stove, right? Yeah. And uh, I like I, you know I I love the transition from being a civilian mm-hmm. to being a soldier. And it is I've said this a few times uh, in many different conversations I've had is that uh, the military in Canada is so small. We have very few members compared to the actual public mm-hmm. and that the way we live in the army is such a microcosm of Canadian culture as a whole that to take someone from the whole and put them into that microcosm is a such a huge task. Mm. 
that for the for the brain to be able to adapt to that new situation and then take it upon it as the normal this is the way things should be unbelievable like it's just such a such a dive uh to to think that your that your brain is capable of that level of adaptation because it's a whole nother world yeah but it's amazing that the the adaptability in general terms of the the human absolutely the human animal is incredibly adaptable i mean anything Uh, the one thing I've learned is no matter how bad it sucks, it can always suck worse. That's very true. Yep. And, uh, and it's amazing how used to dealing with that you can get like, um, I don't know, I could, I could pull half a dozen examples off off the top of my head, but it doesn't matter how bad it is. You can get used to it and you can survive it and you can thrive in it to, to the extent that you would actually find surprising. And I mean, you look at you look at people surviving in concentration camps. You look at people surviving in gulags. You look at people surviving in you know some of the harsh death march. Yeah, uh, just yeah, right exactly. There. On and on okay. and it goes. And uh, and and guys survived uh, the you know the prisoner war camps in Vietnam and yep. all that sort of thing, that kind of treatment. And and yet people survived that and came out the other end relatively normal and well adjusted. Yeah. Um, so it's it's pretty amazing how you the brain can compartmentalize, you know, certain aspects of of your life. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I think a lot of it is, is um, you know, your outlook on it. That it's such a it's such a an undercut ability because really, I mean, you hear about these stories all the time from those uh, really bad experiences. People just gave up, right? And they just said fuck it, and then they died. Yeah. And then there's the people that are just like, well let's see what happens tomorrow. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I know what you mean though. You know what, what, yeah. and, and, and you got to ask yourself, what, what, why the difference? Why did that guy say, fuck it one more day? I can go at least one more day as opposed to the guy who said, Nope, this is it. I've reached my limit. I'm done. You know, what, what is the, what's, what gave that guy on, you know, what gave a guy a, the juice to go one more day and one more day after that and one more day and presumably one more day after that, as opposed to the guy who said, Nope, um, that's it. I'm ringing the bell. I'm done. I always found that fascinating too. Um, you look at special forces selections and even just joining the army, the regular army. I mean, mm-hmm. they, you get put through such a test just to get there right? to, to test you more. Then to go to another course that tests you even more, and then go to another course that is even harder. Right. And it's just that continual ratcheting up. And there are people that quit, right? There are people that quit all the time. Yeah. Well, that goes back to that piece I was mentioning about it, training for adversity, right? Yeah. And and being able to say, well, this losing my legs is just is just the ultimate adversity. That's that's all that is. It's just another test. Yeah. Um. And and really, that's that's how I viewed it, and that that's one of the ways those that was my primary coping mechanism when it came to the loss of my legs was the fact that, well, I've been trained to deal with adversity my entire career. Every time you met a challenge, they threw another challenge in your way. Uh, to see if you were worth the na- you know worthy of the next rank or the next appointment or what have you, that's just the way the military functions. And 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 I think the the military set me up well for being wounded and disabled as much as any organization could. I mean, I knew it was a distinct possibility. It didn't come as a great surprise when it happened. Although some of the things like phantom limb pain uh, were a bit of a an unanticipated an unanticipated extra, <laughs> uh, for lack. 
well, well, we don't get too many briefings on. Yeah. <laughs> like we get the, the physical briefing. This is what's going to happen. This is what you need to do to, to stop the bleeding. But we never really deal with any of the after effects. Yeah. The, uh, what comes after. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of that I wasn't anticipating. A lot of the, uh, the indignities of being disabled in that regard uh, didn't 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 become apparent until after the fact. But uh, be that as it may, it didn't come as a surprise that I could be injured on the job. Yeah, well, you we know. all, when you signed the dotted line, right, that's... Yeah, that's the military did a good job of, uh, I think they did as good a job as they could have to prepare me for what, what in my case, became the inevitable. Yeah. So I've got no no grief in that regard, no 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 complaints. And I think, like I say, the military training, that, that you know, the selective aspect of it, uh, the challenging aspects of it, um, put me in good stead for dealing with the disability itself. You know, we've been uh, we've been at it for a little bit over an hour now. Yeah. And I just want to appreciate. Uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on, and I really appreciate you you talking with me. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Um, it's been a great conversation. I love this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. We don't uh, we don't get to sit down and chat about things like this. So. No, and you know that's why one of the reasons why I wanted to do this was that. There's lots of tools that every one of us uses regularly mm-hmm. that somebody else hasn't heard of. And all it takes is somebody to say, hey, I use this. And they're like, man, that's a great idea. Why haven't I done that before? Absolutely. Yeah. No, there's lots that we can learn from each other. That's for sure. Uh, so do you have any final final points? Anything you want to? No, man, I'm going to leave it there. I mean, people, yeah. can, people can take from it what they will. And uh, yeah, good chat. That's awesome. I uh, Thank you again. I really appreciate it. That concludes this episode of The Toolbox. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you were able to use some of the information that was offered. I want to thank all those putting it on the line for us every day. Military, veterans, first responders, and public servants. Keep up the good work. I look forward to bringing you more tools for your toolbox. And until next time, stay open, stay humble, and stay focused. Chimo.